Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday mailbag. Boy, God, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, Oregon is now four and one on the season. They've dropped out of controlling their destiny for the college football playoffs. Still in the picture, though, for the playoffs. Still in the picture to win the Pac-12, get to the Rose Bowl. Uh, so their goals are still kind of attainable. Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to want to talk about just the overarching potential, the future of this team. So we're going to go for 45 minutes here on this mailbag. We've got a ton of questions. Uh, we have seen huge growth on this show. We really appreciate it. The best month ever on the podcast came in September. Uh, and that's because you, the listener, is so engaged with the show. So we really appreciate that. Uh, and, and I think the questions after Saturday's loss at Stanford reflect that. We It, it took probably, Erica, quite a bit of time, right, to, to sift through all of these of, of what we wanted to discuss. We had 28 questions, which I'm pretty sure is the most we've had submitted. Um, if it's not, it's quite close. And we've kind of, I guess, whittled it down to a top 8 to 10 here. And, and again, we're, we're going to go 45 minutes. We might not get to some of the back end, um, but we're going to go for as long as we can here to just kind of run through Again, what's a tough weekend to recap? And, uh, and we're going to start with a lot of questions, I think, about the quarterback position because I think that's the place where we have to start. So the first one from at Clayton B underscore 27. It's a very basic question. Do you think the loss gives Chris, Coach Cristobal reason to hand the keys over to Ty Thompson? I think it might. Now, does Cristobal think it does? I don't know. We, we have yet to pose that question. For those listening, typically Mondays we have media availability with Coach Cristobal. That is not the case this week. It's a bye week. We haven't received a schedule. We will have an opportunity to speak with him at some point. And I think we'll have a better idea based on those conversations about kind of where his mind is at. But I think collectively our mind is that that at least needs to be considered. It at least needs to be discussed. I look at it like science, you know, if you're doing a scientific experiment, what, what, what do you do? You have to change one of the, you know, you change one little factor in it, see what, see what the result is. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't impact anything, you go to another factor and you change that factor if it, and you go so far, you know, all the way down the line until you've kind of tested all the different things and see what works and doesn't work. You've got five games now with Anthony Brown at quarterback. I'm not sure that that factor is the, is the underlying one for all the offensive issues, but I think it's sure worth taking a look and seeing what would happen if you make a change there. And maybe you come away feeling like, oh boy, this is actually a deeper issue. This is something to do with a system or a scheme, or there's a talent issue here, or it's a play calling issue, or it's a, a variety of other things. It's a discipline issue. It's an execution issue that's not just related to the quarterback. But I also think it's very possible that we co you come away from a week, a bye week, and then a game of him playing, of Ty Thompson playing a quarterback over Anthony Brown, feeling like, oh, Maybe this was almost exclusively an Anthony Brown problem. I don't have the confidence in saying that because I haven't seen Ty Thompson play yet enough to really draw a conclusion. But I will say it feels like to me at this point, I'm pretty confident with what Oregon has at quarterback. And I'm pretty confident that making a change would at least give you an opportunity to see if this is an overlying, you know, an underlying issue, I should say, or if this is just point blank, uh, a quarterback personnel problem. Anthony Brown is in his sixth year of college football. He has played 35 career games to date. Uh, he has played seven games at Oregon. His seven-game average from a completion, completion percentage standpoint is 57.8%. Uh, he is 
averaging 7.6 yards per attempt. His career average is 55.4% completion percentage. His career average from a yards per attempt percentage is 7.1. Who Anthony Brown is in 2021 is who Anthony Brown is in his five previous seasons as a college football quarterback. The He's not going to just all, all of a sudden magically bump up to a position where he is going to complete above the 65% threshold that Jim Moorhead has said is the standard. Uh, Anthony Brown himself has said the threshold for that is even higher. And yet he has done it once in his career. And that was uh, in two games for Oregon in 2020, when he came off the bench and he attempted 23 total passes. Um, This is who Anthony Brown is. The problem is we do not know what they have with Ty Thompson, what they have with Jay Butterfield, and what they have with Robbie Ashford. The coaches might know. And, Eric, you brought up a good point. The coaches might know that Anthony Brown is the only option that they have at quarterback this season because the three freshmen are not ready for what's at stake. If you want to go 6-6, and they may be ready for that. If you want to go 11-1 and in the regular season, they're not ready for that. They may know that answer. The problem is – and this is why we were we have been so critical about not putting teams away until late in the fourth quarter against Stony Brook or against Arizona, and maybe you even include Fresno State in this. The lack of consistency of having your teams show up at the first moment of a game and be ready to go and then to play consistent football for the next three quarters or two and a half quarters has cost Oregon the opportunity to have an entire half against Stony Brook with all of the other backup back backups in the game, an entire half against Arizona with all your backups in the game to really truly evaluate and see what you have at quarterback. Because maybe, maybe you throw Ty Thompson out there in, in that second half against Stony Brook, against that second half against Arizona, in that fourth quarter against Fresno State week one. And maybe through those five quarters of football, you figure out, hey, you know what? Ty Thompson's completing 68% of his passes. He's being efficient with the football. He's not making the incorrect read and is running the offense efficiently. While he's doing it against lesser competition that he would face right now. He's done it in games. We know he, we know what we have. We have a better idea of what we have at that spot with Ty Thompson, or it could be on the flip side. Maybe he struggles. Maybe Jay Butterfield struggles and that five quarters of action over three games. And you are, con- you are confirming what you know, and that Anthony Brown is your best option. You don't have that information anymore, and I'm being very long-winded, but it's frustrating, and now Oregon is in a spot where they're in a bye week, and they're going to have to sit long and hard, and they're going to have to think, is Anthony Brown our best option moving forward? And if he is, what can we do to fix this offense a little bit? Because they are not – Joe Moorhead and Mario Cristobal will come forward, and they'll say they're the second-best scoring offense in the conference – they have the, I think, the second best yards per game offense in the conference. They're five, they're four and one. They can still reach all their goals, and that's all true. 
But that also doesn't mean that this offense is operating even close to the level that it should be. And they need to decide if Anthony Brown is the guy, what can you do to help him play at a better level? And if he's not, you need to figure out who you're going to play and how you're going to adjust in the next 10 days or so before you face Cal. It's, it's a tough decision. It, it's probably Mario Cristobal's toughest decision he's had at Oregon since he's been here. I mean, just to answer the question of the, do you think the loss gives Coach Cristobal a reason to hand the keys over to Ty? I don't know. Um, we've kind of seen this before with Cristobal where we, the, the personnel changes might not happen when they should and maybe happen end up or maybe end up happening down the line. This game against Stanford, though, and Anthony Brown's performance and the offense's performance based in the first half alone should give win to Cristobal to maybe look for something new. This is outside of the first half against Stony Brook and most of the Ohio State game. <clears throat> this has been a common trend in Oregon's offense, um, really finding a rhythm and then not finding a rhythm in the same game which costs Oregon the chance to really put away an opponent. And I think that largely has something to do with Anthony Brown's inability to make correct reads, which has cost Oregon touchdowns. It has, it's cost them points on the board. It's cost them the ability to put away opponents earlier in the game or make it a competitive game at half or whatever the case may be. And to Matt's point, we don't know if, any of the freshman quarterbacks, Ashford, Butterfield, or Thompson, are capable of stepping into this role of a starting quarterback. You know, we've only been able to see them very sparingly throughout fall camp and the first few games of the year. And because of that, who knows if they are ready. If we could watch practice and see that they are ready and make an actual understanding and a, and a judgment-based decision saying, this kid looks better than Anthony Brown does at quarterback, but we can't. So we'll just have to go forward from there. I think this will be this is probably an ideal for this situation to happen during a bye week. Yeah. And give an extra week of competition at in, in camp or not camp in practice, excuse me. Uh, if this were to happen a couple of weeks down the road where it's a game where Anthony Brown performs poorly against even just even just next week against Cal, where they don't have another week in between to make a, a better judgment, um, I think this should be all hands on ta on the table for Oregon's offense. Uh, I think they should really give everybody an equal look. Will they? I'm not sure. Is it necessary? To me, yes. But again, we don't know how the others perform in practice or how they perform just in situational awareness, uh, like um, drills or anything like that going forward. So we'll see. It's going to be a fun week. There's there's a, a, a strong contingent of Duck fans, and I've been talking with them on the site and talking with them on social media today about they just want Ty Thompson to be out there and to grow and to develop in this second half of the season once this bye week is over and that it's time now to invest in him. Or they're also saying – that he's he's good. He's ready to go. It's Ty Thompson time. And Eric, you brought this up a couple of weeks ago. There is this infatuation of just assuming a four-star, five-star recruit is automatically going to be good what, the minute he steps on campus. And if Ty Thompson was that good, he would be starting week one over Anthony Brown. 
And so I, I really hope Duck fans can kind of understand that just because he is the highest rated quarterback in program history doesn't mean he's automatically ready to lead a team to a college football playoff appearance week one. He might be ready now. Going, you know, week six of the college football season, he might be ready now. But this just assumption without seeing him beyond one quarter of football or one half of football and just assuming your hope, making your hope and your assumptions factual that he is good is wrong and is unfair to Anthony Brown. And this also isn't the time to just invest into the future at quarterback. You can still make the college football playoff. You can still make the Pac-12 championship game and get to the Rose Bowl. And to just say after one loss that it's time now to just ride with whatever we get with Ty Thompson and or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford. And if we lose three, three or four games, so be it, because these guys are going to be better next year. And it, it, it's time to go because we've lost one game. That's bullshit. Like, sorry, I swear, but that's, that's BS. Like you can, you play the best guy possible to get you to college football playoff because that's still possible. Once your goals are no longer attainable, college football playoff, Pac-12 North Championship, Conference Championship, to get to the Rose Bowl. Once those are no longer attainable, all three of them, then you go to let's ride with the younger guy and who cares if we drop one more game because what's the difference in playing in the Holiday Bowl or playing in, in the Las Vegas Bowl? Like there really isn't much difference, but you can still accomplish all your goals. So just throwing away the rest of the season because you're tired after one loss is a joke. Second one from at Drew Goalie. Why aren't we hearing more comparisons about Dakota Prukop and Anthony Brown? Both graduate players and the stats between them don't lie. Prukop has a lot, had a lot less talent around him. Hashtag odds and audibles. I pulled up the stats here for those unfamiliar um, and they are pretty comparable. Um, actually, I think those who maybe are listening here probably have a very poor opinion of Dakota Prukop and that's totally justified. He was not a very good quarterback, but statistically speaking, he was better. He was, he was better than what Anthony Brown has shown thus far. Anthony Brown, I'll just run through his stats thus far through what is five starts, 56.5% completion percentage, 959 yards, seven touchdowns passing and one interception. Dakota Prukop over his six starts. Remember, he was pulled before this next start for Justin Herbert, who came in and played pretty admirably. Uh, Prukop, 65.7% completion percentage, 1,214 yards. It's one more game, so it makes more sense why it's a little bit adjusted in terms of the yardage. He's about 300 more than Anthony. Eight touchdowns, two interceptions. The quarterback rating between the two, by the way, Prukop, 152.7. Anthony Brown, 138.4. Uh, I think this is a valid point. Good question here from at Drew Goley, just in terms of, you know, I think we want to make, you know, we, we oftentimes want to draw conclusions to other players at Oregon and other quarterbacks at Oregon. And I think the comparison that before the season started, I wanted to make was Darren Thomas is if he can just be a game manager that can get the ball to Oregon's playmakers, let them get in space, make plays, the offense can run effectively, then Oregon's going to be pretty darn good. The fact is, he's been closer to Dakota Prukop, a quarterback who was pulled right around this point in the season, by the way, yeah. for a true freshman quarterback, and that ended up being the best choice. Now, of course, the, there's a very significant difference here, and that is that Oregon is still a top-10 team right now. When Dakota Prukop was pulled, Oregon had lost, I believe, three games. The season was really in disarray. 
at that point, it was like, let's just try to figure something out big picture. So there is, from a team perspective, there is a reason to kind of differentiate the two because of success, because of what is achievable, because of what goals are still available. Um, from an individual talent perspective, or at least from a statistical analysis, because it is hard to draw some sort of talent comparison based on what players playing with different teams and different eras of football, um, based upon, again, half a season, that part's challenging. But based upon statistical analysis, um, Prukop is a, a better quarterback through this portion of a season. I think that's pretty telling. Um, do you make a decision in, entirely based upon a trend that we saw, or I guess a decision we made by a different coaching staff, you know, six years ago? That's probably doesn't make any sense. But I do think it's worth bringing up here that, like, if, if you want to talk about making a change and going away from a veteran transfer quarterback and going to the younger guy, this actually could be pretty darn similar to 2016. And I do think the point that we've made and the timing of this is actually pretty good if you do want to make a change because you are bi-week. You go to Cal. Cal, who, by the way, is dead last in the Pac-12 um, North right now, does not look like a very good team. Um, maybe this is the moment. Maybe that is the comparison to draw. I also think, like, hey, there's a lot of factors here that are at play because, again, the season was completely over by the time Prukop was pulled, and you still have a lot ahead of you right now. It's pretty telling that, I mean, it just goes back to what I was kind of ranting on about changing quarterbacks is and sacrificing the rest of the season. Oregon made that change from Prukop to Herbert when it became evident that they were not going to, A, get the college football playoff, B, win the Pac-12 North, and thus C, not win the Pac-12 championship. Like, they had three losses, a really horrendous loss at Nebraska, which didn't knock them out of the conference championship. They had a really bad loss against Washington State, which put them in a hole. And then they lost to uh, they lost to uh, Colorado, which opened the door basically where they had to run the table, get a lot of help, and really pray that they could win the Pac-12 North Championship. That wasn't going to happen, especially when that Washington team was so good. They made a change when their goals were adjusted. Um, I, I do think it. The pro the pro cop to Anthony Brown stuff is there are correlations there yes like it, similarities um, Oregon's not in the same place like Eric said um, as what that 2016 team was at this team is still a top ten team this team is still projected as of this morning Monday morning to make the Rose Bowl by CBS Sports uh, they are probably the seventh or the eighth best you know, odds to get to the college football playoff. Like it's going to take some work. It's going to take some help, but they can still get there. They run the table. They look good doing it. They can get into the college football playoff. And in a year in which there's been so much turmoil across the top outside of Alabama and Georgia, you have to say, why can't we run the table and go and, and have a chance to get a three seed or a four seed in the college football playoff? This is exactly what happened uh, in 2014, when Oregon made the college football playoff, they lost at this point in the season. They opened the year four and out. They had a huge non-conference win. Granted, that was at home. This is even better because it was on the road. They didn't have their best players on defense in that game either. And they found a way to win. And then they lost their fifth game. They lost to Arizona, a horrible loss, a team that they should not have lost. That game was at home too. And they went and they ran the table. They bounced back. They beat it, a solid UCLA team, which is on the schedule in two weeks and or three weeks. And then they ran the table and they looked good doing it. So the history is literally in Oregon's history books. 
that they can still get to the college football playoff and still reach those goals. So these programs are in different, different areas. Um, I am of a belief that you have to, I'm not going to say they have to make a change at quarterback. They have to change what they're doing with the quarterback, whether that's putting an Anthony Brown in different situations to be successful, that has to happen, but they have to at least evaluate this week. Do you make a change? And if not, what are you doing to fix their issues? The difference between 14 and this season is in 14, you had a, a quarterback you felt really good about and yeah. you give yes. the opportunity. Right now you are at a crossroads in terms of like, I just, I just, I'll tell you straight up, I don't think Oregon can run the table with Anthony Brown at quarterback. Do I think that Ty Thompson or someone behind him can? I'm like, I confident in that? No, because I haven't seen it. But like, I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, if Anthony Brown's a quarterback the rest of the way, I, I very, I don't, I lack a lot. Of, and there's a question about this in a second, so we'll kind of get to that. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I see multiple losses on the horizon. If you stay with the quarterback you have right now, that doesn't necessarily mean the alternative is better. To me, I would make the move just to be clear. I think I said that earlier, but you also, you don't know what you have behind you. So talking about running the table, kind of obsolete at this point, I think, in terms of trying to figure out how to do that from a quarterback perspective. Because I just, I mean, maybe they don't have the guys. Maybe they just don't have the guys. And, and if that's the case, I'd probably go with the younger guy anyway, just to build towards experience. But that's just me. Next one from at Scott Million. Is quarterback development under Mario Cristobal a concern? Herbert, Chuck, now Brown. Now, I think, here's what I'll say. Quarterbacks on the team that, that have been head coached by Mario Cristobal have maybe not played very well. Quarterback development is not Mario Cristobal's chief job. That is not his responsibility. His, that responsibility is the responsibility of the quarterback's coach, who is typically the offensive coordinator. Those responsibilities under Cristobal have come to Marcus Arroyo first and now Joe Moorhead. So if you want to pose concerns or frustrations about quarterback development, point those first at those coaches and then point that at Mario Cristobal for maybe hiring the wrong coaches to lead that quarterback development. But to suggest that Mario Cristobal is a bad quarterback developer, like – who cares? That's a non sequitur. That's not his job. That's not his responsibility to go over there and, and develop the quarterbacks. That's his offensive coordinator or his quarterbacks coach's decision or um, ability. And if they're slacking there, then that's what, then that's their problem. And that's a decision you have to make from a coach to coach perspective. But I think to suggest Mario Cristobal is, is like a, not a good quarterback coach, like sure that he's not a quarterback coach point blank. So I don't understand why you would point, put that fully on him. I think this is either on Joe Moorhead or it's, or it's on the quarterback himself in terms of the development. Um, obviously the coaches staff has a, has a role in player development. That's a huge part of that. That's the thing that Mario Cristobal talks about all the time. I just think it's lazy to suggest that Mario Cristobal can't develop quarterbacks because that's not his primary responsibility and never will be as the head coach, unless he changes his responsibility and starts coaching the quarterbacks. You want to talk about, you know, cons concerns about offensive line development. Sure. That's his responsibility. He has a huge role there. He works with those guys day in and day out quarterbacks. He does not. I think Scott might be trying to suggest that Chris Ball is getting in the way of the development of, for whatever reason. I mean, how, how, how so, how though? We, how, like, we could, we could know the, we could, we've heard like, we're not reporting this, but we just know that a lot of people believe that Chris Ball maybe gets involved in play calling or what have you. Um, I don't believe that's entirely true. I also think he should be involved in play calling. Like he's the head coach. Um, but I think he's, and he's trying to suggest that maybe he's limiting what the, they do at quarterback. And we do know that like, Hey, Chris Paul has like basically gone on record and said that they weren't running Justin Herbert um, 
after he broke his collarbone because they wanted to ensure that he was healthy. Um, I mean, they said that, I think, after the, the Utah game, when against Utah in the Pac-12 championship, we saw Justin Herbert run the football quite a bit. And they were like, yeah, we purposely didn't run him until this late in the year because we didn't want to risk getting hurt. Um, I, I mean, that I agree with, but I also don't think Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown are even close to the level of play that Justin Herbert's at. And Justin Herbert in 2019 was really good. I also think some of the limitations with Justin Herbert was due to the fact that he wasn't playing with really good skill guys, like, or nearly as many of them. Um, I, I think if you put Herbert on this year's team with this year's skill guys, he probably looks like a different quarterback. And I don't think that's first of all getting involved. But, so can I ask which of these quarterbacks like really had the chance to develop under Cristobal? Because yeah. when Cristobal took over, it was Herbert was a third year, he was a junior, and then he went to a senior. So that's one year of development. Brown's a six-year guy. Shuck was a part of the uh, – he was in the same like recruiting class under Cristobal's watch. But still, like that was – maybe Shuck just isn't that good. That's the other thing. Maybe regardless of his development at Oregon, it wasn't going to matter. So, like, to, to complain about quarterback development under, under Cristobal, I think, is extremely unfair. You had you know, two great years of Herbert, who's a baller in the, NBA, in the NFL now. He's really, really good. I also have, uh, I have strong opinions about Marcus Arroyo's offense just being bad at Oregon, really limiting what Herbert can do running like just strictly offense with power runs and things like that, where yeah, Oregon didn't have great receiving groups or anything like that. But I, I think that stunted the development. If, if it did with Justin Herbert and with Shuck last year, it was 2020. I, I, in my mind, those sports years just don't exist. I feel like everybody went through unbelievably unbelievable perils and just that year was a mess. So the development from that aspect is tough for anybody to come out of on top of. So, and then with Brown this year, he's a six-year guy. What are you going to develop out of him? What is, how is he going to get that next step? It's clear that he's been the same quarterback for the last three or four years with just a bunch of injuries to his legs. So I think you look at this next group of quarterbacks with Ashford, Butterfield, and Thompson, and that's when you really start to look at the QB development under Cristobal. Because now he has his guy at quarterback or at offensive coordinator with Joe Moorhead. And that'll be the opportunity to show that he can actually develop one dude or two dudes or three dudes. Maybe they all turn into something that uh, maybe at Oregon, maybe at a different school where you can look back on and say that they learned their craft. They learned their skill set from Oregon and their coaches and their coordinators. Maybe it's just semantics. I would say if you want to talk about where she's a quarterback, it's more of an evaluation 
I think, and it's also more of maybe just how you choose to use these quarterbacks as in his development. I think development is an unfair way to assess something here, especially when you're talking about a coach who has nothing to do with that actual position and doesn't have a hands-on approach. So that's why I, that's why I, that's why I responded the way I did because I just think it's a really unfair way to. So what, what are we going to say? Is, is the point? Can Mario Cristobal develop outside linebackers? Well, is, is, I mean, like that's the same kind of non sequitur. There's really no relation between. I mean, he's the head coach of the football team, but he has no regard and no involvement in those players development. So, um, evaluation issues, possibly, um, putting them in, like, like Matt said earlier, putting him in best positions to succeed, possibly. Um, I think development is a really strong word and I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next one from at David underscore Strahan hypothetical, not including a bowl game. What's the ducks record the rest of the way. If a B starts every game, what about if the true freshmen start from Cal on more wins or less? Total guess, obviously. I mean, I don't even know if I want to do the exercise, to be totally honest. Just yeah, I don't know. It, it's like I have no way of assessing this. Um, if, I, if I am honest, here, here's what I do want to do. Um, I, I want to say if you stick with Anthony Brown and nothing changes, right? So we've talked about mm -hmm. you make a quarterback change to go to Ty Thompson or another quarterback. Let's say they don't do that. And Matt talked about maybe you maybe make some alterations to the offense to fit around Anthony Brown. Let's say they don't do that. So we're just getting identical Anthony Brown play the rest of the season. I think they lose to UCLA. I think they lose to Washington and they probably lose to Oregon state. That's my, is how I feel. And they might lose to Utah it, and genuinely um, they might lose four more games. If, if they don't, if, if nothing changes at quarterback, if this is just exactly what we've seen, I'm not, and, I'm, and I'm, I don't expect that's the case because it can't be the case. Like Matt said, you, you either have to make a change personnel perspective wise or, or a change in how you scheme and you and devise plays with your quarterback. And if you don't change any of those things, I think you lose potentially maybe four more games. Um, is that fair? Maybe that's a little knee jerk. Maybe, but go watch the games. There are so many plays to be had that aren't being had. And that's what gets frustrating is that there's a lot of concern about play calling. And I think some of it might be justified at times, like from a decision-making perspective, but overall go watch the games and go see, go just go look and see what would happen if you had competent quarterback play to judge Joe Moorhead's performance when a quarterback is unable to run his offense effectively is really an unfair way of doing that. I think, um, you know, and that's just, and I feel the same way kind of about people saying DeRuiter is not doing a very good job. He doesn't have his personnel, in my opinion. They're down so many damn guys right now. So um, that's a bit of a rant away from the original topic. But I just think, like, I, I don't want to try to do what happens if the freshmen play or what happens if AB plays. I think that's, like, that's a completely pointless exercise. We, you know? we don't have a sample size to know what they have behind Anthony Brown. And that's mm -hmm. why I said at the beginning of the top, like, that's why it's, poor coaching and it starts at the top with Mario Cristobal to not have this team ready to go from the jump against Fresno state against Stony Brook and against Arizona. Those were the games to figure out what you had at Ty Thompson at Jay Butterfield or what you had with seven McGee or Brian Cardwell or uh, Trey Benson or what you had at Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, Isaiah Bravar, Chris Hudson, Matt, Matt, are these but, coaching mistakes, or is this Anthony Brown can't run the offense, so you can't get enough of a lead to actually give anyone else a chance? Right. I think it's both, honestly. But I, if I, you can't, if you can't you get to, when would you have put an Anthony Brown? When would you have taken him out of a game before? I mean, they just never had. They a were all one-score games for a long the, time. The issue is, is they were up against Arizona ten nothing in three minutes, and then all of a sudden the offense and the defense just went to sleep for like. 30 minutes or, or of, of real time, not game time. Just like 
They played bad. They had a they had a drive against Stony Brook where they went the length of the field. Stony Brook's offense did and scored a touchdown. Like that shouldn't happen. That's not Anthony Brown's fault. Like that shouldn't happen. Arizona went the length of the field twice in the third quarter, and Oregon's offense only had the ball for eight plays in the third quarter. So the team can't get it though. But when's when's the opportunity for the coaches to actually make a change and insert any of those players? Are you are you arguing they should put them into situations? I don't. No, no. I'm arguing that that. This team plays down to their level of competition, and that's on the coaching. Okay. And if sure. they if if they are as good as they say they are, if they are as good as the standard that they say they set, um, and they are as good as the talent that they recruit, which is the ninth best team in the country, they should be able to blow out these Arizonas, these Stony Brooks, and frankly Fresno State, and be in a position where you can then put in your backups for an entire fourth quarter or for most of the third and all of the fourth or the entire second half. That's where the coaching failed. And then Anthony Brown and the offense not being consistent enough is also preventing the Oregon offense from executing at its highest level, which could entail provide you those scores that you need to get there. I think it's, I, I, I truly think it's both. I, I, I think this team has, played down to its competition, not just in 2021. I think they did it in 2020 against Oregon State, uh, against California, uh, against Stanford last year, against UCLA last Basically every game. They, they played down to their competition. In 2019, they played down uh, to their competition against Arizona State. That game should not have happened the way it did. In 2018, they lost to Washington State and Arizona right after they beat Washington. Those two losses are inexcusable. You you say one, okay, sure. I, I kind of understand it, one of those being an upset. But to happen twice and the way that they came out in both those games with the players that they had, upperclassmen, inexcusable. This team plays down to its competition, and that's on coaching. All right, next one from at Duck Cruz. Oregon has a great start with the 4-0, with the being went 4-0 with the win over Ohio State, the loss. Before the loss, do you feel like this program was ahead of schedule this year? Before the season started, I thought conference title was a ceiling. Then the expectation shifted to playoffs. Um, I think we were kind of in agreement here, right? I mean, I think we were saying, like, conference championship, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe if everything breaks right, playoff. I was, I actually predicted three losses preseason, one of them being Ohio State, so egg on my face there. I didn't predict them to lose mm-hmm. to Stanford, so that's two already I've gotten wrong. Um, we're, I mean, are they ahead of schedule or did we feel like they're ahead of schedule? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the most recent show. I think we talked about how expectations shifted after they beat Ohio State, as they should have. When you win that game, which nobody really counted them. I mean, who predicted them winning that game, aside from some fans on a message board? Who Honestly, if you went and read our, our prediction threads, basically nobody did. I mean, so once that, chance, when, once that changed, the momentum of the season shifted. The kind of the way the whole season was, I guess, the narrative shifts. Um, so like, do I think they're ahead of a year ahead of schedule right now? No, but I probably did 48 hours ago. I mean, I mean like when, when they were undefeated in third ranked in the country, yeah, I thought, yeah, this is, a, this is not where I expected they would be. But right now I feel like this is about right where I thought they'd be totally, to be totally honest. Yeah, you, did you have Oregon four and one? I think you, we all thought Oregon would lose at Ohio state. I can't remember if you even thought they might lose this game too, or was that the UCLA game that you thought? No, they I, I, no I, as I just, yeah, no, I did. No, I did not. 
because you had you had Oregon, I think at the beginning of the year, I think Jared and I were a little bit more optimistic. We were thinking probably 10 and 2, 11 and 1. I think you had Oregon with three losses in the season. Yeah, that as I said, yeah. So this team is closer to what you are, are are projecting right now at the beginning of the year than what Jared and I. Like I I think um expectations changed when they beat Ohio state in the manner that they did without the personnel that they had, it showed that, Hey, you guys are really freaking good. And if you play consistent four quarter football, you can beat probably almost anyone in the country. And it's, it happens. Like we can see expectations change, especially when the rest of the conference was bad, but, um, and that happened this season, like we saw how bad the rest of the Pac-12 was, where it was like, hey, like they beat Ohio State without these guys. We're not even saying they need to blow everybody out, but you should win every game moving forward. You should go undefeated. You should be 13-0 going into the college football playoff as a two-seed, maybe even a one. Um, that obviously hasn't happened, and now it's, you know, I think the, the expectations revert back to what it was at the beginning of the year, like, probably a fringe playoff team. And the idea is that they win the conference. I mean, I think in my own, in my own thoughts, I've always had the idea that Oregon in 2022 was going to be the better team than they were this year, 2021. I felt that this year's team still was, still was probably too young, just in their, their skill positions. Um, I mean, obviously the defensive line loses Thibodeau for next year, but, uh, I felt that that the year of development with one of Ashford, Butterfield, or Thompson would be the better choice at quarterback other than Anthony Brown. Brown has always felt like a placeholder for Oregon to get them to a point where they can compete for a New Year's Six Bowl, maybe to the playoffs. And obviously expectations change following the Ohio State victory, as we've as everybody here has mentioned, as they should have changed. Uh, at this point, yeah, I would say that they are ahead of schedule. Um, it's it's tough though because now I'm, I'm I'm leaning on the side of of Eric's overall predictions of like a nine and three record because barring a change at quarterback, a team like Washington is is going to feast off of Anthony Brown's inability to to throw the football because unless unless Oregon does exactly what they did in this in the third and fourth quarter, which is look we're going to run the ball eighty percent of the time for the entire game and out Stanford, basically every team in the Pac-12. If they get down into a third and seven, a third and eight at a critical point in the game, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't feel confident that that, that that pass is being completed unless they run twice and try to get four yards of carry, which they very much could do. But in, in, in the second half, I think that was the realistic expectation of what Oregon's offense would look like, where – Look, we're going to run the ball. We know that's our bread and butter, and we're going to hope that Anthony Brown can complete a pass on third and six, and third and eight. So they are, to me, after watching this team for a few weeks and barely squeaking by, not as good, of, not as good as of, of opponents. Uh, I think Saturday was a realistic gut check for them. Obviously, it took maybe it took a couple penalties here and there that, that weren't exactly called in Oregon's favor to get Stanford to go down the field. But the fact that they were still down 10 and a half, the fact that they couldn't score for most of the first half, um, 
I think was, was a reality check for the team and, and most of the fans to say that, look, there are some severe issues on the, on the offensive front, which we have been talking about for weeks now, yeah. being rather critical of their offensive play to much pushback from, from some of the audience. And here it is. It's presented itself again. And this time, Stanford is not Arizona. Stanford is not Stony Brook. Stanford is not Fresno State. They are a well-disciplined, well-coached team where they took advantage of those, of those mistakes. And it's happened once again, and we'll see where it goes going from here. I think what's frustrating is Oregon's – I, I could understand if, hey, this is a team that, that needs to run the ball on first and second down, like you said, and then say, okay, Anthony Brown needs to complete a third, third and five pass or – you know, some, some kind of intermediate short pass on third down to get a first down and continue the drive. Um, I could understand that if Oregon didn't have a ton of talent at the receiver position, or if they only had like one bonafide good player at that spot and they were just limited in guys that ran routes, but that's not the case. And even if you don't include the freshman, that's not the case. Look at the year that Johnny Johnson had in 2019. I don't think anyone is going to tell you that Johnny Johnson is a first-round wide receiver, but he is a damn good college receiver. He he can be a legit number one guy on a Rose Bowl caliber team because we've seen it. Look at Jalen Red. He can be a legit threat in the passing game, and when you get him the ball in space, he makes plays. Look at Micah Pittman. Look at Devin Williams. Look at Terrence Ferguson. Look at Maliki Matavo. I'm going to say those two guys because they've played a lot this season as freshmen. Okay, we haven't seen a lot of Thornton. We haven't seen a lot of Franklin. We haven't seen a lot of Isaiah Braveheart. But the two freshman tight ends, we've seen them do it. Oregon has the talent. And I think that's what frustrates me is whether it's AB is not good enough or they're not putting him in, in positions to succeed as – uh, play call, Oregon is being relegated to being a, a running team because they can, there is a disconnect at quarterback to receiver when there shouldn't be. They have the talent at those positions to make plays, and they just can't get them the ball. And so they need to change whatever they're doing. It could be quarterback change, or it could be changing your scheme and tailoring things a little bit better to what AB's strengths are which I think he's actually a pretty good quarterback when he's on the move, rolling around out of the pocket, and you get that run-pass option type of a situation. When he's asked to sit in the pocket, I think he's horrible. But when he's on the move and allowed to have the, the option of throwing or, or running the football, I think he's pretty good. And I think they need to do more of that. Um, that's what they did with Jeremiah Mazzola, different coaching staff, different system, different – era of college football, but Mazzoli wasn't this elite passer, but he still was effective because they put him in positions to be successful at what he was good at. I don't think they're doing that enough with Anthony Brown. And that's what's so frustrating to me is they're having to be this team that leans on the run game so much when they should be balanced because they have the talent at receiver to, to do it. But they run games so much because they don't have the talent at quarterback to do it. It's true. true. So why why are we blaming the wide receivers here? I'm not. I'm not blaming the receivers. 
We just said we need to to change how uh, like how we get the ball to the receivers because they're that's, that's not a quarterback not, thing. That's a quarterback thing. I I think Anthony Brown as a pocket passer, which they asked him to do quite a bit against Stanford, isn't good. I think Anthony Brown on the rollout and you're working with half the field, which eliminates half the reads that you have to make or a quarter of the, the reads that you have to make. And you put him in those positions to throw the football, he'll be all right. He'll get the football to the receivers and let them do, do their thing. I don't think there's a problem with the receivers. I, what Oregon has problems with is at quarterback getting Anthony Brown into positions of success, or he's just not good enough and they need to change quarterbacks. It's, it's one of those two options. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I really think it's the second part. I, re- I don't think this is fixable with Anthony Brown at quarterback. If you go watch what happens on these plays, man, it's it's like you can argue system all you want, but like if you think it's system watching some of the mistakes he makes from a read perspective, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and 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 even an accuracy perspective when he finds a guy. Yeah. Uh, and he, and even on the roll, I mean, he's he's definitely better running. Uh, you know, he's definitely better outside the pocket than he is in the pocket. You know, he's not somebody who really has almost any success standing in there. You roll him out, he might be a little better. I, I, I see really – I mean, you can – sure, sure. I mean, if you're going to stick with Anthony Brown, find more ways to play to his right. strength. No one's arguing that. I, I just at this point don't think it, there's enough strengths to really play to to really see this offense get to anywhere near what you want it to be. Um, and that's frustrating. All right, next one from at Nash underscore Duccaneer. Now that C.J. Verdell is likely out for an extended amount of time, do you see any other running backs other than – Travis died getting a lot more carries. If so, who? Um, we do not have, for again, further clarity on a timeline for return for C.J. Verdell. Mark Crystal said it looked like it was significant. That was directly in post game. At that point, probably didn't have a ton of information. It was probably just going off of what he had heard um, from trainers in the immediate aftermath, right? That's what he was going off of. So we'll hopefully learn more on C.J. in the next couple of days when we do speak with Cristobal. Again, nothing Monday, potentially Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. One of those days we'll get – we don't have exact idea of that. No schedule has been provided. Um, to the second part of the question here, absolutely you have to have another running back. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I made this point in the podcast or if we just talked about it off. I think I look at the 2022 season when I suspect C.J. Verdell is no longer on the team and I suspect Travis Dye is still on the team, that the play is probably going to be between Byron Cardwell – Sean Dollars and Trey Benson. One of those guys basically is inserted into a CJ Verdell role and Travis Dye continues to play kind of his own role. I think what you're going to see now is basically just that whole scenario, that kind of understanding moved up a season or moved up part of a season here, because without CJ Verdell, you do need another running back. Travis Dye can't do this all on his own. He's not physically built to do that. Um, Frankly, he's better as a change of pace. Um, He ran unbelievably well between the tackles and he made Stanford may have been his best game. I agree. It's up there. This year, for sure. I mean, he was fantastic in that game. And, and I thought, again, we we're having a much different conversation about this team, and that's at the forefront of it right now if they won. It's, it's man, without C.J. Verdell, how about Travis Dye? And then we're probably – this is probably the question leading the show, honestly, is, is without C.J. Verdell, who's his running mate? Or who's Travis Dye's running mate? And I think to the next part of the question here, so, like, I, they, there will be another player. They're, they're, they're not going to give Travis Dye yeah. 30 carries a game. That's not a, that's not a recipe for success. Just like it's not a recipe for success to ask Anthony Brown to throw it probably more than 20 times a game, at least in the current system that we're in, you know, or I think any system. Um, if so, who is interesting? Because in Stony Brook, we finally saw all three of them play. The next week against Arizona, we saw only seven McGee play. This most mm-hmm. recent game, 
we only see Byron Cardwell play. And against Stony Brook, we should note Trey Benson got the bulk of the carries and was the first one on the field. So all three games now, we have seen a shift, a little shift in terms of who gets the first opportunity or all the opportunity. Now, I would say Seven McGee and Travis Dye are more synonymous than anyone else. And I would say that to me, Seven McGee is like the heir apparent to that Travis Dye running back in this backfield in the future whenever Travis is gone. So I think it's between Byron Cardwell and I think it's between Trey Benson for this, assuming Sean Dollars is no longer is not available, which I don't think he will be. We'll hopefully, gets, and that's another bye week question: is what's the deal with Sean Dollars? How close is he to getting back? Um, Cristobal suggested it would be not around this time, but probably in the next two to three to four weeks. I think by November is probably when you're looking at a Sean Dollars return based upon what he has said in the past. We've seen Sean actually. I think he was actually correct me if I'm wrong, Jared. Was that this week that we saw him actually dressed leaving practice? We did, yeah. He was in full pads, but he was wearing uh, trainers, not not cleats, as he left the, the facilities. My money would say it's between Cardwell and Benson, and I, for a long time, have thought Benson is is really special, and I've heard a lot of things that lead me to believe that from a variety of players. I know Jared actually had a great story. I'd recommend those who are kind of interested in those young backs go find Jared's story from, was that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when Travis died? said that he thought he could be – was that fall camp even? I think those was, was fall camp. Where Travis Dye said he thought Trey Benson was going to do something special and be potentially one of the one of the best to do it at Oregon. Um, I think Benson would be my pick. My guess is you're going to see a rotation, though, and that's going to be between those two primarily, with potentially Seven McGee in certain matchups getting a lot of run. Like, I thought it was notable against Arizona that they went with McGee over the other two, I think in part because of how Arizona defends uh, – the run game and just in general, how they defend offenses. I think from a fit perspective, it might just be literally week to week. Who's the best fit against the opposing offense, opposing defense, I should say against Cal. I would think it's going to be a bigger back knowing the way they defend opposing offenses. I think if we just go off what we saw against Stanford, it's Cardwell. I mean, game on the line, fourth quarter game winning drive, dying needed to rest. And they put Cardwell in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, but against Arizona, same situation. They put Seven McGee in. Yeah, but that was, I think, on passing plays. Um, you gotta, you gotta I, I, I think um, my actual answer is Seven McGee and Byron Cardwell. I think they are going to double dip because Verdell has been used in the passing game often this season. And that was kind of not the primary role for Die, but that was like a clear space where Die was significantly better than Verdell was the three the three previous seasons was in the past game. But this year, Verdell is I, I think has improved in that regard and has been used more there. Um, so I I actually think if Die needs a breather and they need to throw, we're gonna we're gonna see Seven McGee out there. And if Dye needs a breather and they're going to run, it's going to be Byron Cardwell to most extent. That's, that's my answer. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to use all three of them. I'm going to yeah. go, on a, go on a hot take and do that. Uh, yeah, Matt, I like your point of when you brought up that, that they've been using CJ Verdell more often in the passing game. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how Trey Benson will, re- like his knee will reply to being used in the passing game. Uh, but I think Byron Cardwell has been hundred percent basically all season. Uh, so I can see them switching up CJ Verdell's passing routes with Cardwell while also running him 
But I think Trey Benson of the three is the leading candidate to get the carries. Just straight up run through inside zone reads that, that C.J. Verdell has done for so many years here at Oregon. I think that he's probably the most talented back that they have of the freshman trio. I think that he has the most potential of the freshman trio. And I think he's the most similar in running style to C.J. Verdell. Uh, I think Byron Cardwell is another great option if they elect to choose him over Benson. I think that would, that would be fine. Another big bodied six foot one, 210 pound running back. You just can't have Travis die run the ball 25 times against Cal. He's he's, he was exceptional against Stanford. Don't get me wrong. And he ran the ball 19 times, which has, I don't know what his career high is, but that's gotta be up there. But he, we saw it on that final drive where, and the final two drives really after Verdell was hurt, where he just had so many inside zone reads and you know, got his helmet torn off in one of them and just looked tired. And when they finally brought in Byron Cardwell to get a couple runs, it was like, okay, finally die is out of the game because that's a really strong workload for a guy who doesn't have a lot built into him. And when you have Benson and Cardwell as backups, like those are the guys that you need to go in there on, on a first or second down and just brew some linebackers, get four to five yards of carry. And with die as like a specialist again, I think that's his best role, like Matt was saying. And if they could continue how to figure out how to do that and make him a second down pass catching back or a third down pass catching back, I think that'd be ideal for Oregon's offense moving forward. Travis Dye's career high is 33 carries for 199 yards and two touchdowns against Oregon State in 2018. And then his Mm -hmm. previous high is also in two, his second highest number uh, is considerably less. It's 20 carries for 115 yards and a touchdown. He did that also in 2018. Um, But 2021 Stanford performance is his third most carries with 19 Mm -hmm. total carries. The real answer is, I think, really just is who's the hot hand, because that's exactly what Jim Mastro has said for three years here in terms of who that who gets the bulk of the carries. And I think it really will be rotation between those three. I still think Benson's the most talented, but we'll see what happens. And I think when Sean right. Dahl is inserted into the whole scenario, and hold, I think that will be another potential. I mean, assuming CJ's out at that point, we don't know exactly how long he'll be out. But if, if those timelines do overlap, I, I do think Dollars is definitely a name to, to, to know and like. He's been somebody who everybody is, is really high on. Yeah. Let's wrap it up Sean- with... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, if Sean Dollars were fully healthy, he's obviously the pick. Let's wrap it up with this one from at Sean underscore Rollins. Where was Coach Moorhead? How sick? Enough to miss game? Where was, when was the last time this happened from an O or D coordinator? I can't recall a single time. I mean, the third question is sort of, it speaks for itself. How sick was he? Enough to miss the game? Well, he missed the game, so obviously he was. Um, I don't think it's worth it for, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, how sick? What are we supposed to do with that? I mean, obviously sick enough not to be there. So to answer that first part, like, yeah, he was unavailable for the game. And I'm just going to trust he's dealing with something that would require him to miss it. It was an early morning emergency scenario. Okay. Like this, like, it's not like he chose not to be there. I saw a rumor, which frankly infuriated me, that was trying to be circulated online that he was looking at other coaching positions or that he and coach Cristobal have some sort of beef that, rec- that that led him to not be the offensive coordinator do you think that like do you actually think that's what happened do people actually think that's what happened that is such a ridiculous sentiment um we'll find out what actually took place here and i think when you do you're going to feel really stupid for suggesting those things i'll leave it at that now in terms of when was the last time an offensive or defensive coordinator did not coach a game 
Um, and by the way, Sean, I'm not saying you're stupid. And I'm saying those online who are pushing the narrative that maybe there was something non-illness and this was like all some sort of conspiracy that he's actually looking at other jobs or he and Crystal have it on the outs, that those people are being stupid. I think your question is, is reasonable. I think the, the question about how sick and was it enough to miss the game is, is, is kind of silly, but we're splitting hairs, I guess. Um, this has happened actually one time at offensive coordinate. I don't think it was overly publicized. I talked about it on the post-game show back in 2018. Marcus Arroyo had a family emergency and Jim Mastro stepped in and called plays against Nevada. And actually, ironically enough, the 77 points they scored in that game are the most scored during the Mario Cristobal era. So um, <laughs> kind of kind of funny how that worked out. Um, maybe that was a sign of something that took place later in terms of the capabilities of the, that offensive coordinator from a play, but you know, from a play calling perspective, um, this has not happened frequently though, you know, and, and, and that right there is the point of why this obviously kind of answering your own question about how sick or was it enough to miss the game. This never happens. Like this is very infrequent. This happens once every couple of years, maybe more frequently depending on the program. And so because of that, I think you need to read into the fact that this is something that was, was obviously fairly serious. Um, and, and, Sadly, you kind of hope, like, hopefully he's okay going forward. You know, like they're on a bye week right now. Um, again, we'll talk to Coach Cristobal in a couple of days here. We'll get, I think, some sort of an answer, hopefully, depending upon how open he is on this. Um, we'll see if he's more, let's put it this way. Is he going to be more open about injury reports for coaches than he is for players? Because if he's going to, if it's good, maybe he'll be very tight lipped on this whole thing and just say he was unavailable. Um, but hopefully at some point we do have some clarity on this and, and that, uh, that information can make it out to those listening. Because I know this is a question a lot have. Um, and I think it's, a, I mean, it's a legitimate question because not having your offensive coordinator in this game played a role. I don't think ultimately it was the deciding factor. I've seen some people suggest that. I think that's kind of a, a silly thing to say. I think Mastro or whoever it was who called the game, we haven't actually got confirmation it was Mastro, but that would be my assumption based upon past events that have taken place and his history as a play caller. Because um, you look around on the rest of them. I guess Brian, I guess Brian McClendon also called plays. He was an offensive coordinator at... Um, think South Carolina a couple of years ago and that didn't go well he lost mm -hmm. his job so maybe that would be a reason not to give him a little bit once we do find out all this information we'll have a clearer picture but um just I would say keep more head in your your you know your thoughts just kind of he's hopefully he does okay hopefully he's gonna be okay is what I'll say um well I I, I mean I don't know what else to say besides that other than yeah like, there is I do think to spin the, the question in another you know, direction, maybe. I do think you also have to factor in Moorhead not being available for that game and the impact that has in the execution. Like, of, also emotionally, too. I was also going to say, like, I think it's just, it's just as important execution on the field as it is emotionally. Like, these guys are around each other nonstop, and all of a sudden you find out that your position coach or your offensive coordinator or just your coach, one of your coaches in general has a medical emergency illness, something pop up and is not going to be available at the game. You, you just naturally gravitate towards, man, I hope he's okay. What's wrong. Is he going to be fine? What's what, how's he doing right now? Like that, that's just going to seep into people's minds. And I'm sure that, not to give excuses, but I'm sure that played a factor in it as well. I, I, I don't have any more to add, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on this Odds and Audibles podcast. Monday mailbag edition. Really appreciate everyone uh, to sending in these questions. Um, 
we will continue to do the podcast, even though it's a bye week on a regular basis this week. And on the fly, should we do another mailbag later this week? No. Okay. Because I, next- I think we've already discussed the show plan, and that wasn't one of them, so I'd like to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we'll do one next Monday, though. We will do another one next no, Monday. Yes. Not, yes. Not, not on, like, Friday or something. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. And until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.